Dear younger me, <laughs> where do I start? If I could tell you everything that I have learned so far, then you could be one step ahead. <laughs> Those are a few words from the song by Mercy Me called Dear Younger Me. It's also the theme of today's podcast. I'm Val Harrison, the Practically Speaking Mom, and in this theme, we hear from seasoned moms who share what they would have told their younger self. They have answers like, what I wish I wouldn't have worried about, what I wish I would have focused on. What were the big important lessons that once I learned those lessons, there was a major shift in how well our family functioned? Dear Younger Me is a theme about what I wish I would have known from the very beginning of motherhood. So mamas, let's get started with more intentional right now. Do, 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 do. I can't think of a better initial guest for our first episode of Dear Younger Me than my friend April Reculia. God blessed April and her husband Mark with four adopted and one biological, all divinely designed children. I need to ask you to overlook some poor sound quality on occasion in this episode. April lives in the country, which was affecting our internet connection sometimes, and I was getting over a cold, which can be heard in my voice. Hopefully, your heart can focus on the content anyway. We've got four parts to this conversation. Lessons learned, things I did right, lies, and seasons of motherhood. Let's get started. We're going to get started today on Dear Younger Me. As I was praying about, God, who do you want to be on the show to talk about the lessons they've learned? God just kept bringing you to mind. I would love for a, a little synopsis of of how your family became who your family is, because it's amazing. Absolutely. Well, that, like you know, is a story of its own. So I will give you the Reader's Digest condensed version. Mark and I were unable to conceive children for the first 11 years of our marriage. And God baby stepped me toward volunteering at the children's home and then foster care. And we did temporary placement for a long time. And then we went into long-term foster care. And our first child, our first placement is now our oldest daughter, Norma. She'll be 23 next week. She spent the first almost two years of her life with us as mom and dad. We were still doing lots of visits with her birth parents, but the court decided to terminate parental rights and she became ours. She went home to stay with them for a while before their rights were terminated. And then they had a second child. It was just really too much for the parents. In the meantime, while she was home, we had adopted another little boy. And so that brought our total up to three and they were three under three. <laughs> and that was a busy time. And, you know, God showed me. It was, it was an amazing thing. He showed me things in his word before each of my adoptions happened. And just the way that he did it, he did it in a way, you know, he knows each one of us. He knows our strengths. He knows the places in our character that need work. And he fashions things in a way that protects us and helps us to grow. And I felt very much like that's the way my family was created 
at the time I had little children, I didn't have a peer group that had children the same age as mine. And I also didn't have a peer group that uh, since they weren't in that season, I just didn't have the ability to draw really from other people. And so I read books and that's kind of how I came up with a lot of my parenting methods. And I just thought, well, these are wise people. They know the Lord. And so I'm just going to do what they say to do. And so it was kind of an interesting, he, know, he knew that I have a tendency to fall into comparison and that that's not good. And so I just felt like that was a way that he protected me is because our situation was so unique that there wasn't anything to compare to. And I just had to look to him and listen to what, you know, he was directing me toward. Uh, our fourth child um, came to us because a friend of mine from church, we had been close friends for a while and then lost touch. We reconnected and um, she had a little girl. She was a single mom. And so we were involved in some of that and helping with that. And then a few months later, her baby was seven months old and she was diagnosed with cancer. God had us in a position where he had extra room in our house. And so she came and stayed with us during that time. And we helped with her daughter and we helped her with her cancer journey. And um, eventually Jillian got promoted to heaven and Alea became my third little girl. So that brought the total to four. And um, God, as only God can do, uh, you know, we thought for sure our family was complete then. And they were very close in age. So four of them right there together. And then fast forward a few years and I turned 40 and came up pregnant <laughs> after 17 years of not being able to conceive. So we have a fifth child, Isaac. He's 14 now. And so that is our happy little band. Um, we homeschooled up until uh, this last August. And because of some changes in our life circumstances, I'm helping my husband in our business. And we just felt like Isaac needed camaraderie with other peers. His older siblings are all working now and also a little more structure. And so um, he attends a local classical school here in the Wichita area. Yeah. So how much time passed from when you adopted your first till you adopted your fourth? Um, well, so two years. So in two <laughs> years, you went from none to four <laughs> and then pretty soon five. I don't know what year you and I met each other. Uh, I feel was, like it was, had been a while. Your kids were a little bit older than that. So, Isaac was three. So 2012. Okay. All right. So I know from the time I met you, I was just in awe of your heart, the joy that you always had. But most of all, what impacted me the most was that all of the situations were exceptional, but some of your kids did have exceptionalities, um, learning challenges. And I knew your family in a co-op setting. So in class academic settings, and it appeared to me that you had a vision in your mind of the development of your kids and that it was just exponential growth. You believed in them so much that I just watched them blossom and bloom continually, that their exceptionalities did not hold them back, but were a beautiful part of who they are. And that was so inspiring to me. I could tell that you had spoken truth and life into their identity. And it was a beautiful thing to get to observe. Oh. Well, I, 
I appreciate that. And I'll tell you, I think just a quick little side note on that. My husband was very instrumental in our approach to that. I mean, we did choose to homeschool because of the learning disabilities. And we just really wanted for, for our family, we really felt like it was important to avoid labels and to not place limits. And that, you know, that in your day-to-day life can sometimes be very hard because tasks are challenging or, you know, you just get weary, but we have really seen God bless that. And just, we didn't know, we didn't know what limits there would be. You know, it was very hard to know how much do I push? How much do I require? Because expectations help people to rise up and meet the challenge. And so it was a very, um, very much a balancing act. And I don't attribute <laughs> any of the success to me other than I was there and available and just trusting God and saying, you know, I don't know what to do, but I'm just going to continue to make myself available and we'll just continue going forward. And mm-hmm. that he's going to help me have the wisdom to know when to just say that's, that's enough and that's okay. And this is where we are. And I will tell you, my oldest daughter, um, we didn't know if she would be able to drive because she has some vision issues and some processing issues. And my mama's heart is always to protect, you know, and you don't want to risk and, and all of those kind of things. But we went ahead and we thought, well, we're going to try, we're going to see how it goes. And it was a process, but she now drives and she's able to go to work. She works as a nanny and does some other social things, goes to church and she's just fine. And so it is just, it's just amazing. It's awesome and wonderful to see what God has done in her life. Yeah, I love it. When we set this up for this theme of Dear Younger Me, that you were going to come on for this particular theme, you also sent me your notes, which was really sweet for me to see what you were thinking of talking about today. So you had uh, lessons learned, what I did right, lies, and seasons. And I thought those are four great lists. So we're going to try to to cram that in here. If it goes long, I turn it into a two-part podcast episode, then awesome. That's great too, because your wisdom and just your heart is something I really want these moms to get to hear. So let's just get started with your lessons learned. Okay. Well, the first thing that I would say before we dive in is Galatians 6, 9 was one of my verses that I hung on to as a homeschool mom. And I'd like to just start that um, to kind of frame our conversation. And it says, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And I think the give up piece is something the enemy uses so much to try to get us as moms to be discouraged and to quit. And, you know, that verse just says, doesn't matter if you're perfect, doesn't matter when you fail, don't give up. So just keep going. And, you know, the word of God promises a harvest if we don't quit. So just do what you have to do to keep yourself encouraged and to remind yourself that this doesn't rest on you. And that was one of my big lessons learned was it doesn't all depend on me. So let's see here. I think the first thing that I wanted to talk about was that my children are not mine. They are gifts from God and that I am his agent in their life. And I think that's a lesson, you know, you hear that. And it wasn't something that I really fully grasped uh, early on when my kids were little. And the thing that I learned from that is 
you know, when you think they're yours or when, you know, that you are reflected through their life, the enemy can use that to twist things and you don't see accurately. We are God's agent to reveal his ways and to reveal his wonder and just to help show them the biblical worldview. You know, that's the other piece of it was I didn't really think about things it's easy to become offended with your kids when they don't obey, right? So it's easy to take that personally and feel like, well, you know, I know they love me, but if they love me, they would have just, well, that's not true. I mean, we're all fallen mankind. We're redeemed, but fallen. And if we're not walking in the spirit, when we receive instruction, you know, or correction, sometimes our heart doesn't handle that properly. So I think if I had remembered and had a better grasp of that concept, it would have helped me to be more focused on their heart. So that was one of the things that I learned is that they're not mine and that I'm here as God's agent to draw alongside them and say, you know, I struggle with failing too, or I sometimes don't follow through like I should. And when we fail, we want to own it. We want to say, you know what, that was my mistake. And then, then carry it to the Lord. And so I, I would like to have done a better job of that early on and made that just a habit and a pattern. Since we're not going to be perfect and we're going to make mistakes, if we learn how to handle mistakes well, like how to ask for apology and express our regret to our kids and let them see the heart behind our regret and our apology it can actually be very encouraging to them in the long run that, hey, mom knew how to handle it when she wasn't perfect. And I can do that too. Yes. Yes, absolutely. The other thing that I learned was misplaced identity. The enemy always wants to get us off course as to who we are and why we have value. And we know that that's just because God created us and he delights in us. One of the things that I kind of got off course on as I was growing up was achievement. I liked achievement. I I did well. God gave me lots of natural abilities. And so I put too much faith in that and that being my value. And so then consequently, when children came along, I saw them as an extension of myself. And if they didn't do things well, then I felt like that reflected poorly on me. And again, that's just rife with emotions that, unless you process them right, can lead you the wrong direction in dealing with your children. It puts pressure on them. It puts pressure on you instead of just walking in grace and saying, you know, it's okay. Come here. Let's talk about this. So I think that is another thing that I would do differently. <laughs> I love that phrase, walk in grace. That, that just brings peace in and of itself. You know, if I just that wording, I think in the midst of those times when the kids are doing something wrong, you know what, how can we walk in grace in this moment? You know, I love it. I think it also links back to what you were talking about just a minute ago about learning to handle mistakes. If you feel performance driven, or if you have a pride issue, you you feel like you have to hide mistakes. You Mm -hmm. know, you want to conceal those. Well, Mm -hmm. that's one thing if it's just you. But now if you've got little people too, and you feel like their mistakes are your mistakes and you're trying to hide mistakes, the pressure that that brings is awful and it yields bad fruit. And so just to know that, you know what, we are all 
in the same boat. We all need God's grace and we're all going to make mistakes and just to love and to help them see their heart. And I think you've talked about that in the past that, you know, one of our primary jobs is to help our children see their heart as God sees it. Love it. That's good. What I did right. I'm so glad you made a list of what you did right, because we as moms have such a tendency to only make the list of what we're (laughs) doing wrong. And we, most of us are doing more right than the enemy of our soul wants us to believe that we're not doing right. And same with our kids, by the way, they also are feeling all of the things they're doing wrong and not recognizing the things they're doing right. So they need help with that mindset too. Yes, absolutely. And it was a good exercise for me to sit down and think about that too. Cause like you said, just because of the way, you know, the enemy works on us, we're so much more prone to be able to quickly provide a list of things that we failed at than things that we did right. Yeah. So, you know, at the top of the list, um, I would say is teaching and memorizing God's word. We are so blessed to have God's word readily available in a lot of formats and just to be together and reading about, you know, the Old Testament and the characters and the stories there. My kids would laugh at me because I get so excited (laughs) about the word. And when my kids were little, they used to say, mom, you should be a preacher because I would just get so excited. But it's so good to be in God's word together and memorizing God's word. You know, the easiest time for people to memorize is is when they're they're young. Yes. And it's the challenge for mom to come alongside and memorize at the same time, but we did it and it was great. That's awesome. I, you know, you displaying to them your love for the scripture and you being excited about it is a really great gift to give kids because too easily we can get negative about scripture and you, and when we're using it in training with our kids, we have to be really careful to not make it something negative in their lives. So that's really awesome that your kids saw you loving it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, those things flow from the gift of time together. And since I've entered the workforce in the last couple of years, man, I realized what a wonderful gift it is to be a stay-at-home mom and to have the luxury of time And, you know, so I would just encourage if there's a way for you to do that, even if it's just for a season when they're young, that is so precious. And yeah, it is just an incredible gift. It's a good gift for you and your peace of mind and your mind frame. And it's a gift for your family to be able to love them and not be in a hurry. And, you know, time is one of those things. Boy, if you're in a hurry, it's just so hard to be Christ-like. And so to have an attitude and a mindset that, you know, my steps are ordered of the Lord. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to listen and not be in a hurry. And so the gift of time. um, And if you're not able to be at home full time, use the time that you have. You know, I think even with that, there's that idea that quality times mean I'm not doing anything. Working together is great time together. You know, busy hands sometimes even frees up people to talk. So it doesn't have to just be fun time only because there is a lot of work to be done at home. Uh, Limiting screens, that kind of goes without saying, but electronics stirs up something in our young people, just an incredible desire 
that is hard for them to manage. And so, you know, if you can delay that, I'd say delay it. And then when you do introduce it, you're going to have to have a good plan for how to help your young person manage that and to teach them about self-control and making goals for themselves and setting limits for themselves about how much is good for them. Cause there's something about it. I don't know. I don't understand what it is, but I just believe there's a spiritual component to it that makes it very hard to resist and very hard to limit. And most of the things that come through it are not things that are going to encourage your child with their walk. The fact is most parents I meet are not, they, they don't have a tight rein and clear in their own minds about the boundaries that they want to be having with their kids about screens. I love that you talked about equipping our kids to have self-control and to create limits themselves. Um, Let's dive into that for just a second. And that I'm guessing you don't mean that from a young age that they create their own limits and, and self-control, that that's something that we are working them into, which, which I think is something parents often maybe overlook is that, we don't go from strict to now they're adults and total freedom. We really want to equip them in all areas of their life to manage their life well and balanced. And of course, under the Lord's control, give it, give us a little picture at your house of screen boundaries or what age do you start moving the reins over to them to learn limits and things. I feel like there's a big pressure from society to mainstream that and for children from a young age to have their own device. And we resisted that um, partly because we felt like it was a large monetary investment and partly because we felt like because of our circumstances, our kids were home most of the time. And so uh, kind of what guided us was we said, until you're driving and have a job, you don't need a phone. Now they're, obviously technology and stuff that they use during their schooling and whatnot. And you just, you know, common areas was kind of our guideline with that. I do know that everyone has need for recreation and, you know, fun times. And so just allowing some of that. Yep. That's, that's great. (laughs) Yeah. I love your approach. Okay. What, what else do you have under the things you did right? Well, this seems like a basic thing, but in our fast-paced world, it's easy for it to fall to the side, nutrition and rest. When our children were primary school age, our circumstances were just such that we placed a high importance on rest, having a regular bedtime, and nutrition. And I think those two things really contribute to how happy and pleasant your child is. If they're tired, if they're not eating right and getting the right things that their body needs, it's just, you know, another thing that they have to overcome to be able to function. And so we maintained a regular bedtime probably until they were in high school. And then we, you know, we relaxed things a little bit in middle school, but being well rested uh, really does have a big impact on your mind frame and your ability to function. And so we just thought that that was an important thing. That's great. I know I did not put nearly the focus of that that I should. And it really caught up with me at some point. And so that's definitely you. It's on your list of things you did right. It's on my list of regrets. (laughs) Anyway, that's that's good. Do you have more on that list? Nope, I think that's it. Okay. So the next one is such an important list. Lies. 
lies that you struggled with as a mom. What what do you have on that list? Unfortunately, we have to push the pause button on this conversation for just a couple of days. We will publish part two this week, which means we will not have an episode next week. Now, before we say goodbye for today, I want to share with you such a special ending story. It's from April's story about her family, uh, a missing part of the conversation. As you listened to April's story, you probably were asking, what about baby number two? Well, I want to fill you in on that right now. So let me tell you the missing part of April's story about how baby number two, Josh, came to their family. In the spring of 2001, April says, we found out that our oldest daughter, Norma, was going to be returning to her birth family. God showed me at that time a scripture passage and a promise for me from the story of the Shumamite woman and her husband in 2 Kings chapter 4, where God promised them a son when Elisha said, this time, about a year from now, you will hold a son. April continues to say, I, like the Shumamite woman, was so afraid of disappointment that I was hesitant to hear the promise. But God was faithful as always. In December, Norma returned to her birth family and we were heartbroken. When May came, I thought I was pregnant. I went to have a test at a clinic and it came back negative. That was May 19th. What we didn't know was that on that very day, God had brought into the world Joshua Matthew, our second child. Matthew means gift of God. In time, God brought Norma back to their family as well. What a wonderful story of God's love and divine design. We will hear the rest of our conversation with April in a couple of days. We'll see you then. 